Broadcasting from Data's positronic brain in a cavern somewhere under San Francisco, this is Politrex. The Time Directive, the Declaration of Human Rights, the United Federation of Planets, the United Nations, World War II, the Dominion Federation War, the Art of War, the Teachings of Sirach, Jesus Christ. Welcome, everyone, to Politrex. It's great to have you here. My name is Barry DeFord, and with me, as always, is my often imitated, never replicated co-host, Shashank Avaru. How are you doing tonight, Shashank? Pretty good. Namaste, homo sapiens. I'm hoping if I say this long enough, I can trademark this catchphrase and make t-shirts and sell them and never have to get a day job again. Yeah, t-shirts, coffee cups. There could be little, like, we could get those little dancing Pepsi cans from, like, the 1980s that would dance to music. And he, it would just be, like, this little high-pitched, like, namaste, namaste, like, and it would be amazing. We can only dream. But in reality, we made it to episode six. This is pretty exciting. Yeah, we're cooking along. I mean, it's been a, it's been a total joy doing these uh, episodes uh, with you, and uh, we hope you folks have been enjoying it as well. Um, right away, we're going to start uh, seeing some new guests coming in and talking to us about a vast array of different uh, different amazing things. So we're really happy to be on this journey, and we hope you folks are enjoying it too. It is definitely a pleasure to just do the show, and the I think hoping someone will listen to it, that's another pleasure altogether, but just doing it with you, my friend, is a great joy. So thank you for letting me be along on this crazy ride. Absolutely, and I'm happy to scream into the internet void with you at any point. So today we've got an interesting episode on on tap here. It's uh, dealing heavily with the wonderful, wonderful, warm-hearted uh, uh, movie uh, Star Trek The Voyage Home, which, of course, a lot of people know as the whale movie uh, and such. And we're going to be taking a bit of a turn into some of the messages that we see within the movie, specifically around environmentalism. So it's going to be a great conversation that we're looking forward to engaging with you folks as well. We'll have some reading material for you as well, as always, concerning environmentalism and maybe some uh, interesting facts and maybe even some good news. Who knows? Because I know uh, it can be a little doom and gloom out there. What do you think? Absolutely. I also wanted to point out that our opinions might be considered controversial they might be considered political, but our show is called Polytrex, so you have been warned. But nevertheless, we really hope you listen to it and you give us a shout and what you think about it. Yeah, and if you do want to leave a voicemail with us, you can always call in to the Tricorder Transmissions Podcast Network. You can reach us at 609-512-LLAP. That's 609-512-5527. Can also support us on Patreon. There's a little ticker just at the top right-hand side of the website on the Tricorder Transmissions. Always happy to hear about people helping us out in that respect. You can also listen to a lot of many different shows that are uh, showing up on the Tricorder Transmissions these days. We're we're not the babies anymore, Shashank. There's a brand new podcast on the Tricorder Transmissions podcast networks, and it's called Reading Trek. So Reading Trek, that's that's pretty awesome. Have you heard anything else about it, Shashank? I've heard that it's uh, it's going to be very exciting. I've heard it. I've heard, all I've heard are good things about it, and I highly encourage everybody to go seek it out, listen to it. And I'm sure, just like you enjoy everything else on the tricorder transmissions, this would be no exception. 
I do don't I do not like the fact that we are not babies anymore because this means we are getting close to that podcasting retirement home and I don't like it one bit. Yeah, yeah, I mean episode 6 it's uh, I guess we're getting a little long in the tooth but not as long in the tooth as some of our other great shows like the Tricorder Transmissions itself, Shore Leave, Trek Ranks, Disco Trek, Drawing Trek. So uh we still have them to look up to. And uh, I, I, I honestly, I don't even know if we really have permission to fly the ship yet, given our age. Wesley Crusher did it. He, he, he got to fly the ship. So why not us? You know what? I stand, I sit corrected that, uh, yeah, no, Wesley did it. So we can too. And you know what? I want one of his gigantic, like corded sweaters that he used to wear too. <laughs> that was fake outrage from me. If you would like to complain about my fake outrage or just catch up with us, what see what we're doing and uh, tweet at us, send us messages on Facebook like all the cool kids do. You can follow us on at Polytrex, P-O-L-I-T-R-E-K-S on Twitter, or you can follow us on Facebook on Polytrex. We post very relevant topical jokes most of the time, but every now and then we get serious and we try to t- say something smart. But if we don't, hey, that's what the internet is for. Call, is for. call, us, call us out for it. Absolutely. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. We also like to spam our, uh, whenever we drop an episode, we spam our, our walls and uh, our Twitter feeds with all of the articles that we utilized for uh, any of the episodes. It's a nice way sort of of showing our showing our work as it will. Um, I don't wouldn't necessarily say that it's say like the Chicago or MLA or APA style of essay writing in terms of a bibliography. But uh, hey, internet bibliographies are, are all right, I suppose. I would not complain about that. We also just would like to take a moment, no matter what's going on in your life, just just know that we are happy you're listening to the show. And before we get into the more serious, unfortunately, mostly negative news that we have for the day, just know that we are here for you and we will keep making podcasts as long as you're willing to listen and you can tell us what you think about us. With that being said, let's get into the news. Hey, thank you for sticking around. As part of Polytrex, if you've not listened to our previous five episodes, and we really think you should, before we get into the main topic of the episode, we spent a little bit of time talking about the news, and we tried to connect it to Star Trek, and we tried to make sense of it through the lens of Star Trek. With with that in mind, Barry has some interesting news about our first headline today. Barry, care to enlighten us? Yeah, so not uh, everyone may be aware of this uh, very, very large cultural group in the Middle East. They're known as the Kurds, and uh, they occupy an area around Turkey, Syria, Iraq, and Iran. And they are basically one of the largest cultural groups without their own country. And it's just come to pass that... They are currently being attacked by the Turkish army in an area called Afrin, and it's pretty tragic to see this happening. The Kurdish people have suffered under Saddam Hussein, and when the American invasion took place, there was a lot of hope in the Iraqi portion of Kurdistan, in their capital of Erbil. And then when Syria fell into catastrophic civil war and the rise of ISIS was taking place there as well, there was a large group of Kurds who started a freedom 
sort of a free space uh, fight for freedom in an area called Rojava. And they have for a very long time been on the ground fighting back, you know, uh, the extreme extremist forces of ISIS. And uh, now they are under attack from Turkey. So a bit of context for that is the area in Turkey that the Kurds live in, there has been a great deal of tension over a long period of time. And there have been some uh, conflict and some fighting that has taken place between the Kurds there and the Kurds, or sorry, and the Turkish people who, um, unfortunately, yeah, I guess a decision has been made that um, they're deemed a threat. And now they are being attacked by a much more, um, I guess, well-funded army. So I'm I'm very upset by this, mainly just for the sake that uh, these people have been fighting for a very long time for their own autonomy and for their own state. And uh, I guess, you know, we can take this as my statement, but my heart goes out to them. And I certainly hope that uh, these folks who have been, I mean, fighting since the late 80s can maybe see a bit of peace uh, sometime in the future. And perhaps uh, Turkey can stay its hand to a, a degree and... Um, you know, we can, we can work this out a, a better way. So, uh, my heart goes out to those folks, uh, and, uh, we will have some information just, uh, in regards to the actual fighting. It's sort of happening. It's kind of back and forth right now. It's not very certain exactly what, ex- what territory is still, um, held by the Turks or by the Kurds. All I can say is, uh, this is just adding, adding more death and destruction to an already terrible situation full of death and destruction. Yeah, the, the Kurds are certainly not a small amount of people in the world. They're estimated to be at 45 million today. So when you recount this incident, it screams Cardassia and Bejo to me, especially with a government that out of the blue decides that this is now a bigger threat and a threat big enough for us to just go in there and attack them and start taking lives and claim them in the name of peace and greater good that just screams Cardassia, that screams Romulus to me and not in a good way that this breaks my heart, this disappoints me and I know the things in Middle East, especially when it comes to land and getting dominion over a certain area or a certain nation seem to be nothing new but the fact that another group is now being targeted by a group that it did not expect to be targeted by this way that just disappoints me even more yeah i i mean i i wouldn't necessarily i wonder if the kurds maybe did sort of expect this there was a period of time when uh, there was a large amount of fighting taking place in rojava where turkey sort of amassed its tanks along the turkish uh, syrian border and just sort of waited there and that sort of seemed like a big threat i think one other thing shashank and i'd, I'd be interested to hear your insights on this is um I have been sort of a supporter of, at least a vocal supporter uh, of of the idea of the Kurds getting something of their own autonomous state, and I've listened to and had the chance to communicate with some some folks who are also vocal supporters. They've gone there, they've been there, and uh, their Facebook accounts are gone now. Interestingly, and so is Telesur English, the uh, the Mexican. Um, news agency who reported um, on some of the events that have happened, Facebook has removed their profiles. And also, that's pretty crazy. So I'm I'm not really sure what to make of that. Uh, Theo Redcrow is one of the uh, professors who has gone to 
the uh, Kurdish portion of Turkey to study the people there. He's also gone to uh, Rojava and whatnot, and he's gone. So I don't know what happened, but uh, his his account has been deleted, and I'm just wondering, because he's never necessarily said anything violent or terrible. He's just reporting what's going on. So, yeah, not too sure what to make of about that. My immediate memories to something like that remind bring me to the stories I heard back in 2010, 11, 12, 13, when there is a big push for anti-surveillance movements. And there was a spotlight on China at that time when I was living back home in India, about how their internet connections were suspiciously being removed and all their presence online was being removed because they were there were a, there was a significant subgroup of the population that was conducting what the government considered to be anti-government activities and what the rest of the world considers to be free speech. This was also very prevalent during the Arab Spring in the Middle East when countries one after another revolted and pushed for democracy. And one of the first things that was done was their communication was to the outside world was removed. That is a very textbook fascist government move. The government itself might not be fascist, but immediately cutting them off from the rest of the world and feeling like they're boxed in hurts not only their strategy and their communication, it brings their morale down. Knowing that what you're doing might not seem to have the effect that you wanted or hoped for, that that brings you down. That is that is very much like what you would do if you were a uh, government in space trying to take control over a planet too. It's the only difference is that we are all on one planet here, but in Star Trek, they ended up capturing the captain of the Enterprise and made him look at a bunch of lights. It's it's nothing different. The the move and what its intent is is still very much fascistic. It's heartbreaking and the fact that even after all this time, these age-old battles still seem to keep coming up. That that just breaks my heart, too. Absolutely. Well, moving on to uh, not necessarily lighter news, but uh, a little more closer to where you and I are currently living. It uh, looks like the United States government shutdown has come to an end. They, uh, The Democrats and the Republicans have agreed to extend funding. I believe it's only for just a few weeks, so I'm wondering and hoping that this doesn't isn't the case, but uh, I'm, I'm wondering if this is going to become a trend. The uh, Democrats have backed funding, even though it isn't going to be helping the, the Dreamers or DACA recipients, the uh, young people who were um, brought here or were born here, I believe, by illegal immigrants and do have a chance to stay, as of course they didn't choose to be born. So, you know, of course, as the Statue of Liberty says, bring me your you're weary and you're, you know, the, the people who are most in need. And I couldn't think of anyone more in need than that, than those individuals. Um, but it looks like funding to keep them around is not going to be the case, uh, at least in the foreseeable future. So to bring in a little more clarity, the shutdown reverse happened essentially because the GOP decided that they would talk about it publicly as until up to this point, there was no, dis- there was no possibility of a discussion and what the, the move that pushed them to essentially go, go out of the shutdown and come back to an active government is the majority said, okay, we will talk about it at some point in March. So that is a vague, not very promising decision. And it 
it is very surprising, especially because the Democrats seem to be in power mostly, and they not not in legislative power, but they had the power of the people, and there was a whole t- there was a whole talk all this time about how there is going to be a blue wave, and how in 2018 everything is going to change, but with them reacting so quickly and coming out of this shutdown, it is even more surprising to me that they relented so fast. If you, re- I don't know if you remember, but when the shutdown happened during President Obama's tenure, it happened for a lot longer and the GOP showed a lot more, for the lack of a better word, they showed a lot more commitment to their shutdown and they said, no, we have these things that need to happen and there is a lot of public outrage about on both sides about why this is happening and how it can be resolved. So it's surprising to me that this one only lasted three days. Certainly, most people were expecting it to go a lot longer. Surprising and uh, and frustrating for sure. But uh, I guess sort of the 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 way this all sort of looks is is again maybe just just nobody's nobody's really stepping up to the plate. It seems like on the Democrat side to to really to really push for for what they what they want to advocate uh, toward. Apparently. I've I've heard you know rumors that uh, that the way this the, the conversations went was was with talking sticks and stuff like that. I can't really add to the veracity of it, but uh, I don't know. I'm I'm really hoping things get uh, get on track a little bit better. And and uh, if if the Democrats are are really wanting to push for helping the DACA recipients, then uh, get on board, guys. Let's do this kind of thing, rather than yeah acquiescing as fast as you say they have, Shashank. It also disappoints me because I was really hoping the Democrats would be very Cisco-like in this time. They, I, I was hoping they would say, no, we are going to do this. I do not care what you have to say. This needs to happen. But instead, they became a very generic red shirt government. They just said, okay, we'll, we'll go with it. We will take your word for it, which is really strange because... Even someone who was probably born yesterday and started reading the news since yesterday about what happened in the last two years with the Republicans would know, wait, why is, why are the Democrats trusting them? Didn't they see what happened all through this time? Even that person would have some hesitation, but uh, to their credit, there were some Democrats who voted against it, against reactivating uh, the government, against shutting the shutdown. And they said they were disappointed. They said they must do better. And they said they'll continue fighting, which gives me hope. And I am hopeful too. And with that, I believe it's time to get on with our main topic. Welcome everyone to our main topic. Tonight we're looking at something really fascinating and uh, a movie that's stuck with me for my entire life. Uh, Star Trek The Voyage Home came out when I was but a three-year-old. So those of you who are older than us, you are probably all rolling your eyes collectively right now and I can feel that, so that's good. That's That's a good feeling. Trust me, it's starting to happen to me now too. This movie though not to the same extent of, say, Wrath of Khan being this amazing cat-and-mouse game where Ricardo Montalban gives what I think is an Oscar-worthy performance and William Shatner gives, 
I would say probably one of the greatest screams in all cinematic history. The Voyage Home sets a very interesting paradigm in the morality, I would say, and the vision and quite possibly the directive, to pun a little bit here, of Star Trek. It deals deeply with environmentalism, animal rights, and I would say maybe a little bonk-bonk on the head, to quote some friends at a log of the mission, political stances. So, having grown up with this story, I've come back to it a number of times and have been charmed by Ohura, I've laughed at McCoy and Scotty, and I've enjoyed Chekhov's return to health, and of course, Jillian showing up and being sort of that every person from our time. And it's definitely provided for me a little bit of escapism, the likes of which I wouldn't see until later on with the neutral zone in The Next Generation. But I think with that, understand everybody, and maybe this is a bit long of a throat clearing, understand that we are going to be coming to you with our stances on environmentalism, animal rights, and where we are politically. If you find yourself on our side, high five. If you don't, have a listen. And if it makes you angry, let's chat. Shashank, what do you think are some good things about The Voyage Home? I've always thought of The Voyage Home as the best Star Trek episode. I will go into further detail about just that that particular line of thought. I've thought about this for a while. And Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, is the greatest Star Trek movie. But it's a it's a movie. It is it has a very traditional three-hour structure. It's a very Shakespearean story. If I could take those characters out and put them in medieval England and give them the same characteristics, take out the technology, it would essentially play out like a Shakespearean play. And a lot of things change at the end, the biggest one being Spock dying. Uh, but when it comes to the voyage home, I've always thought of it as the best Star Trek episode. It's the it's the it's Star Trek at its best with its principles and morals and and the way the story goes. And the story is lighthearted, very positive. It it feels like a triumph at the end of the movie when you sit down and you watch it. The payoff is good. The reward is great. And things more or less at the end of the movie end up being the same for the crew. But what has changed is the way we look at Star Trek. While Star Trek has always been really good with dealing with human crises and relations within our society, it takes it one step further by making a big blockbuster about essentially the environment. And I think in that way, The Voyage Home is a very prophetic movie. It talks about how animals save us, how animals are integral to the existence of the human species. That is undeniably poignant. It's very touching. It it's very it's a very heartwarming film. And it does best what great stories do, is it doesn't tell you outright, hey, go and save the environment. Instead, it tells you a story about how a group of people end up having to rely on animals and use their support and and accept that these animals are greater than them and gamble on the generosity of this other this non-human species to save their lives and 
in that way, the movie is instead of telling you outright, it is showing you through a great story how that's necessary for our existence, and that's the best way of moral teaching to me. It's it's it goes straight back to second grade, third grade stories that we read about as kids and go, oh wait, that happened to that person. So if I don't do that, I think I should be good in life. I it's a, it's a very good way of teaching us about the environment, and those are just some of the many many good things about the the movie a lot of this has been said it's been 32 years since the movie came out so we are we're not breaking any new ground by saying it's a great movie but it is a great movie i want to look a little more into that concept of the environment and i want to predicate it on kirk's quote that he says in your time when man was killing these creatures he was just destroying his own future and there are a number of these little sort of like, I kind of think of them as like little eyedropper quotes that sometimes you might not notice at the first watch, but these are quotes that stick with me in my head. And to be perfectly honest, they inform a lot of what I try to do day to day by not destroying my own future because I am in my thirties. I ostensibly still have about 60 some odd years left to go if I live an average male human lifespan in the first world. So I think about that specifically, that quote by by Kirk when he's talking to Jillian, looking at these whales. And I wonder if if maybe the point of this wasn't necessarily to get on a bandwagon, because I don't think Star Trek was necessarily ever I think it I think it built the wagon personally in a lot of cases not not specifically for say environmentalism but for being something that wants to push for a better future a better outlook something that isn't dystopian but utopian something that we can maybe even attain if we all put our minds to it what sort of environmental things come to mind for you Shashank when you're thinking about this movie the first thing that always comes to mind every time I think about the voyage home is the scenes when we go underwater and we get to look at the humpback whales. At that point, this giant spectacle of a movie stops being a Star Trek movie and it suddenly becomes National Geographic. Or when the crew is sitting and they listen to the sounds of the whales and they're trying to figure out through the howls that are being put out what the solution is to their problem. It just... It, it feels right. It feels like we as a species are at our best when we are one with the environment and we respect the world. Because I think that's what this movie is ultimately about. It's about respect for animals. It's about accepting that there are creatures. Even if you travel three centuries into time, forward into time, and then come back into the 80s, you are nothing compared to the the creatures that live under water or the creatures that just with their sounds can save the world there is there is such a deep level of respect a eh? and just the the ex- the explanation of the grandeurs of an animal and how we really don't know what they are and how they feel and what their existence means to us it that, I think, is what the movie does best, is it teaches us, hey, you might have a giant spaceship, but I am an animal that can just make a sound and save this planet. 
what are you what how do you think you are significant just look at what i am doing live in my presence respect me give me give my life value when that is being shown in a movie and as someone who aspires to be better every day you watch it you you really realize wait i'm so insignificant and i think environmentalism is not just about saying oh we can't live without the environment we can't live without animals environmentalism is also saying look at how animals make our lives better and i think that's what that's the takeaway for me from this movie is it it shows me how much better off i am because i live a life that respects animals and i live a life that celebrates them that's a very very heartfelt response shashank and i and and one i'm going to have to even consider and we'll probably end up listening to not only in the uh, in the edit of this podcast but also later on when it drops that's um there's a lot there and and what i want to touch on kind of specifically there is is maybe the the human connection to nature and something that i think you know here i am sitting in a rather warm room with pictures and star trek models and computer screens and pens and notepads and cell phones and microphones and all the other things and just how detached it all feels from the forest which is probably a 13 14 minute walk from where i am currently right now and in that forest you can get pretty lost and in that forest you have to watch out for bears and there are deer and sometimes there are deer in my driveway and just the fact that though we divorce ourselves from the natural world we did come from it and we still are a part of it and though we may think we can be the masters of nature every mudslide volcanic eruption tornado earthquake and so on puts us back in our place and i think to some degree one of the biggest things that this motion picture does or as you say episode of star trek and i wouldn't argue with that is that it is actually saying to us that that no you know even in the 24th century we are still at the mercy of for- forces greater than ourselves it's surprising that that's what that movie does and a lot of people don't notice it it's very much in that Indiana Jones episode 1 movie where you realize wait Indy actually didn't do anything to to progress the movie all he did was be at a certain place and if he wasn't there the movie would have happened the exact same way when you watch Star Trek the Voyage home you watch it as a great crew adventure but you don't realize wait these guys are totally helpless and everything they do hinges on something that they do not understand and at the end of the movie they still don't understand it they're just helpless they just happen to be in a place where the animals got generous and the the crew is very helpless in this movie they they do not have any control when the movie starts and even at the end of the movie they have no control they just are in a dilemma and something greater than them solves it for them and they go on with their lives that that is such a clever way of showing a star trek movie and that just show that just proves again why 80s was one of the best decades for movies and entertainment is they kept revolutionizing storytelling and star trek was no exception I would agree that the 80s was a fantastic time for movies and and for cinema for sure. I think it also was where we as a as a society at least here in North America really started to understand what precisely our impacts on the environment were. That's not to say that that wasn't understood or being learned before that. I'm just saying that it, it really the media attention really really grabbed 
in the 80s. And I recall, you know, people saying, well, the ozone layer is disappearing. And, you know, we've you know, Chernobyl happened with the year that uh, that uh, TVH came out. And this wasn't the, the end of it. It can stuff continued happening. And now we're starting to see some really big changes happening. I mean, the extreme fluctuations in weather up here. Interestingly, where I live in the Canadian prairies, there's been a very slow desertification process that is now not as slow as it used to be. And, you know, we even see that up here that the winters tend to be a lot more milder. And yeah, we have our cold snaps, but those cold snaps are more extreme. They're more volatile. Moisture takes place at very different times. I, I teach at a school where there's a lot of farming students and they notice quite a bit. They, they say, you know, harvest is going to be weird again this year. So I sort of fear that, that you know, we, we look at this this humble little movie saying that, yeah, you know, the humpback whale goes extinct in the 21st century, and now we're in the 21st century. And it says, you know, judging from the pollution, I would say we're in late 20th century Earth. I, I sometimes worry that, you know, the, the answers are kind of right in front of us, and they're in some of our favorite TV shows and movies, and yet we still don't heed them. So part of me wonders if this all just has to get worse more before it's ever going to get better. And if it, if we reach a certain threshold, you know, if Kirk and the crew didn't make it back and say, say they were 15 minutes late, perhaps the entire atmosphere of Earth would have been ionized and that would have been that. And they would have come back to a husk of a planet with a bunch of whales and a Klingon spaceship. So sometimes I worry that, you know, are we outpacing our ability to save ourselves? What would you say, Shashank? Just going back to talking about how things might have to get worse before they get better, that is not heartening at all. That is that is terrifying and alarming. And environmentalism has always been here. It is weird that you and I have to declare that, hey, we are saving the environment episode of our podcast is a political stance that I have to declare that, oh, I'm trying to save planet Earth, but somehow I am politically inclined one way because I'm saying that. That is weird to me. And that just shows how successful capitalism and industries have gotten at polarizing us, even on the most fundamental issues. But before we delve deep into something like that, just some facts. Uh, Over the last couple of years, there was some research conducted about animal species and their extinction. And the way we are going, we are on track to lose two-thirds of all animal species by 2020. So by January 1, 2020, I would not ever see two-thirds of the animals that I saw growing up or you saw growing up. And This is not very different from when I was a child and my mom and dad told me stories of, oh, there was this certain kind of tiger. Tiger is India's national animal and it's an animal that we celebrate and we think it represents us very well. So when when my parents used to tell me, oh, there used to be this certain kind of tiger with this kind of skin and fur that just got went extinct. And my parents, when they told me those stories, I could see in their eyes that they they felt sorry for me. They felt sorry that I couldn't experience that, that I couldn't see that kind of tiger. And now we're getting close to the rhinoceros disappearing. That's just one of the many species. But rhinoceros is big because that's another animal that India is very well known and revered for in the animal conservation community is the rhinoceros. But, but due to 
poaching and illegal hunting and the environment animals like the tiger and the rhinoceros might they might just disappear and people who are born after a certain time in the next decade they'll just never experience this and i can't help but feel sorry for them much the way my parents felt sorry for me because it's it's something that enriches your life looking at an animal trying to understand its story from the way it looks at you and the way it reacts to you that just might not exist and apart from the obvious extinction and how that affects the environment the fact that that goes away from our life and it goes away from our imagination as a society that bothers me a lot more yeah it it is a bothering thing to know and and in where i'm from there have been species that have disappeared and and have gone extinct or sometimes go the other way and become pests because their natural predators disappear and that's actually happened with Canada's national ha- animal, the beaver. We we actually have too many. And it's because they are not being predated fast enough. And we are creating environments that they've been able to adapt to. But the problem is, is they they do a thing they're programmed to do. And that is build dams and, and change waterways and make their environment better suited to their needs. The problem is, is they end up flooding fields, cutting off water supplies, causing havoc basically to the infrastructure, especially the irrigation infrastructure that uh, Canadian farmlands require to sustain themselves. And so beaver culls have become a thing where, you know, we end up just killing a ton of these animals, these little furry creatures that, you know, we think are hardworking and all that sort of stuff. The same thing is happening with seals as well. Folks might remember Linda and Paul McCartney protesting the seal uh, cull taking place in, in the north in the Arctic. And the problem there as well is that that seals are are actually, they are also overfishing the area and they're fishing out the, the, the animals there because their natural predator, specifically the polar bear, is disappearing at an alarming rate. And I am not certain if the polar bear will be around for my lifetime. That's, uh, you're right, it, it, it is something desperately saddening. Something that I would want to talk about in terms of where my environmental stance is, especially, is, is our use of plastics. Vice did an interesting documentary a couple of years back on the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. At the time, it was about, um, I think it was about the size of the state of Texas, just for reference sake, and it's in the large swirling gyre in the Pacific Ocean. Every ocean has gyres, basically these large doldrumy areas that you can read pages-long Coleridge poems about being stuck in these long, swirling, slow-moving, tepid areas where no wind blows and a lot of things accumulate. As it happens, krill and other types of small organisms will, will end up coalescing there, and that's where a lot of animals go to feed. Naturally, also, the amount of plastic that we, we throw out on a, on a daily basis is now collecting in those areas, and we are creating veritable, slightly under-the-water islands of these large sort of heaps of rubbish and and other types of things, but typically it's plastic. Plastic can hold a lot of toxins, it can be toxic on its own, and if ingested by animals, it can not only mess up their their digestive tracts, the chemical compounds in them can also mess up their endocrine cycle as well. And so while they're floating around in the Pacific Ocean, this vice reporter is with this marine biologist, and you actually don't see the plastic because it floats just slightly below the waterline. And so the uh, the 
the marine biologist dips his jar into the water and pulls it out and it's it's a briny slimy cloudy mess of different colorful bits of stuff and it's all plasticky sort of things and uh, he said i'm very concerned that in the next 50 years if we don't get this figured out fish will go extinct and I remember the reporter saying, well, what fish? And the marine biologist says, fish. And the reporter repeats, well, what? which fish? Which fish are going extinct? And the marine biologist goes, no, fish might go extinct. And I know that sounds alarmist and, and you know, chicken little, the sky is falling, all this sort of stuff and whatnot. But I don't think it's out of the question because these gyres are are accumulating an incredible amount of garbage in them in several different places in the Pacific, the Atlantic, the Indian Ocean, off even sort of the northern coast of, of England um, near Norway. It's happening all over the place, these these areas where, where huge just piles of, of garbage and rubbish are, are coalescing and animals are eating them. The chemical compounds are, are messing with their their actual like you know nervous systems, their endocrine cycles, digestive tracts, everything, and it's killing them. It's killing them all. And if we don't start thinking about how we're going to fix that, or maybe if we don't invent a replicator soon, we're screwed. And I mean that in in like the worst way possible. This whole project that is whatever society we have. And I will note to everybody, Shashank said capitalism first. But anyways, we're screwed if we don't if we don't fix this. And I really feel very much like shows like like The Voyage Home can be a subtle reminder and a and a nice way of going, hey everyone, get your poop in a group. Let's uh let's move on. I want I want this star society. I would like to be a part of the Federation or whatever iteration we create. And if we keep going the way we are, we're not gonna see it. It's interesting that you bring up plastic because apart from plastic being harmful to every animal species known to us, it's also very harmful to us as a species too. The, if we end up injecting even the slightest amount of plastic, our digestive system goes into a frenzy and overlong exposure to certain kinds of plastic will kill us. It will just kill us. The fact that we are allowing these to be part of our world and that there aren't enough people who are environmentally conscious enough to recycle or think that recycling is a bad idea or think even worsely that all of this is a hoax, that people are making this up to make money or to get fame, that idea is mind-boggling to me. That's like people trying to sing while Rome burns. It's It just doesn't make any sense. And in the last 25 years, Again, research was done and people figured out that due to everything happening happening in our environment, the extinction rate of animals is a, is between 1,000 and 10,000 times more than the normal rate of extinction. So if an animal that was supposed to go extinct a million years from now was existing in today's world, it's its lifespan has been reduced to, to, to 10,000 times its actual species lifespan that it would exist as. What does that mean for us human beings? And because we are the most intelligent beings on this planet, or at least the most communicative and, and the largest beings on this planet, we are, are we essentially writing our own extinction by breeding pla- this plastic waste and things like the garbage patch island the it seems like 
in a very poetic way, in a very Ouroboros eating its own tail way, we are harming our own environment consciously and destroying it through the very technology and modernization that only our species has attained. So it's it's just a very dark and fascinating subject to go into. It's 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 certainly not all good news. It's there is there is finding good things that are happening in the environment today is difficult and it it does do some hunting. But what I will say for the voyage home is that the the movie doesn't do that. It doesn't sit down and go. Wait, okay, audience, you and I are going to have a discussion about how everything is horrible and the world is going to end. Instead, it teaches us about how we as a species can unite. It tells us how this ragtag crew got together and convinced someone who did not believe that these were spacemen in air quotes and how they they bring in this person who is initially completely reluctant to the idea and a person of science, no less. And they they convince her and together they accomplish this mission of saving the planet. I think there is, again, something very good about the story there. There is something very reminiscent of our world is it's it is telling us the only way to do this is to get everyone on board. If the situation has become so dire and things are so bad, the only way to do this is to unite and to all agree on one agenda and start getting there, which is, I think, the spirit of agreements around the world, like the Paris Climate Accords. I would agree. And and, and the the mixture there and, and what you're talking about very, very much, and I think this is where a lot of our, our problems do take place between our ability to agree with each other, is the conflict between logic and heart. And I like when Jillian says, you know, whoever said the human race was logical, but then earlier she says to one of her colleagues, my compassion is not limited by my estimate of their intelligence. And when she says there, she means the humpback whales. And that's a lot of, that's a lot of heart there. So you're right. I think, I think this ragtag group has the right mixture of, of logic, a la Spock. And I would probably say, you know, heart coming from say like McCoy and a good almost perfect mix with Kirk and and what's and and so on and i would say that the the federation sort of predicates itself off of that right i mean it takes from it takes from the vulcans it takes from the andorians and the tellarites and and all the rest but there's always been that that mixture of of logic and heart that i personally have to say is is precisely what i think might be required there's a um a fantastic quote that came out uh, from uh, David A. Goodman's autobiography of Jean-Luc Picard. It says here, there can be no justice so long as laws are absolute. Even life itself is an exercise in exceptions. And I think maybe just to clarify, both the movie and Shashank and I both here on your, your Friendly Neighborhood podcast, we're not trying to make anyone feel horrible, terrified, sad, or depressed but at the same time, there are some logical things that we can do. And if we can build a little bit of that heart by maybe spooking you a touch, that could also be a good way of, of, of getting things going and getting things started. One logical thing that I have decided to do, and it's mixed a bit with heart, is I've decided to stop eating meat. Now, again, I can feel a collective eye roll uh, around the podcast land of people listening to me, and other people are quietly going, doing a little happy dance. This has a lot to do with 
the sustainability of what we're eating and how we're eating it and how we're putting it together. There are a lot of meatpacking plants in the province I live in, and conditions are pretty bad there. And I know of some people, I've had some some cousins, some relatives who've worked in those plants, and they are dirty. They are very poor living conditions for the people, very poor working conditions, sorry, for the people working there. And the last few moments of these animal lives are usually spent in screaming painful terror as they bleed out on the shop floor. I don't want anyone to stop eating meat on my account, but I've just decided myself that the logical thing to do, firstly, is to consume food that is easy to grow and still healthful for me. The heart in me goes, I just can't deal with something that I have, you know, I mean, I've met a cow, they, they seem pretty nice. I've met a chicken, I like chickens, and I especially love pigs, they are they are smart, holy cow. So I've sort of mixed this long conversation with myself, um, where I've sort of flexitarian to myself for a period of time, and I'm moving more to so- towards something, I can't really tell you what it's going to be, but I think animal rights have to link into environmentalism if this is all going to work out. Now, again, if you like the taste of meat, and you want to eat meat, fill your boots, you can have my share. But I think maybe we even as a society need to rethink how much we consume. If you think you saying you stopped eating meat and went vegetarian made the audience do an eye roll, be prepared for everyone in the audience to take their eyeballs out and put it down a roller coaster because I am vegan. I've gone full. I, I have been vegan since 2016 and these last two years have been the best years of my life. How are you not dead? (laughs) <laughs> mainly for my digestive system. I have no idea. I think it's strange Indian magic that my parents did on me as a kid and that just allows me to live. They they did it on their flying carpets and with their snakes coming out of boxes. It's the there is there is so much lie and fiction out there about how vegetables don't provide everything that you need for your body. And yet somehow here we are, people who have been vegan for 2, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and we, we just have somehow managed to survive. It's That's another way the environment has been affected greatly is the, the food industry taking what we enjoy on a plate and making a business out of it. The food industry even objectively is no longer interested in food in feeding us and nourishing our bodies, they're interested in making a profit. If you go to any fast food place and order off their menu the most popular item, it ends up being a combo of all carbohydrates, meat, and dairy products, things that are cheap, very easy to make, harmful for the environment. But the big point there is they are cheap. And the, the fact that it's cheap means they can sell more and make more money. And when you start looking looking at things in that way and, and think about how, oh, just because I'm enjoying this cheeseburger today means 10 years from now, I have contributed to my kid never being able to see, look in the eyes of a tiger. When you start thinking about life like that, just things fall into place. And that's when I just decided to go vegan. But the larger point here is the environment you can just look at it objectively and say that things are just things are spiraling down fast and there are we are intelligent enough to notice this and understand this but somehow we are not 
willing as a species to give up the immediate pleasure that we get from the taste of meat or a, a piece of cheese to essentially say, oh, hey, maybe it's time for me to give this up and take care of my environment. The the way we started eating meat as a species is also very interesting. We all used to be hunters and gatherers. And when we killed an animal before we ate it, it lived in the same environment we did. It was the part of the same food chain we were. We lived under the same risk of death it did. If a chicken was under the risk of being killed by me, I was under the risk of being killed by a tiger so it could tear me apart and then eat it. There was, a, there was a same level playing field. There was this basic level of respect that all animals had and humans included. And that's why when we killed an animal in that food chain setting, when we roasted it over an ancient fire with our caveman hands, there was nothing wrong with it because that was part of the way the world worked and the environment balanced itself. Today, we are destroying the environment by injecting methane by the kiloliter and essentially eliminating all traces of our ozone layer. It seems like we're on a mission to do it, whether we consciously want that to happen or not, just so we can enjoy a steak on our plate. And that just that just seems very, very... In, in, it seems... Like we know that that's wrong and somehow we keep doing it because we as a species must be glutton for punishments and we are on a mission to destroy things. And I know that's not how things are, but it's difficult not to feel that way when we know what the facts are. In a recent National Geographic documentary, what I realized when I was seeing it is what all these people are doing today is on National Geographic they used to spend a majority of the time talking about how a certain animal lived and what the what their society was and what they were doing. Now, somehow, even these TV channels that are environmentally conscious, in an attempt to change people's minds, they, they're making more shows about how our environment is getting destroyed. They got a celebrity like Leonardo DiCaprio to come over and do a free documentary that you can just go on the internet and watch about how things are bad and how things need to change and at one point in this in this documentary he sits down and talks to an environmental scientist who says oh there are ways out of this and you know how we can fix it if you stop the mass production of cows right now today within 10 years we could reverse global warming what he's essentially saying is all the damage we've, we've done over the thousands of years can just be reversed if we stop breeding cows by the thousands. And he is showing statistics as to how that works. And this information's out there. It has been out for God knows how long. And yet somehow that's that just seems to continue getting worse and worse. You know, the the high density feedlot is definitely one of one of the greatest sort of, you know, I guess it sort of makes us fall backwards into this wall of fire. There are people making wages and and living and and trying to make ends meet and and whatnot. And some people enjoy a barbecue on Friday night. And I guess I don't want to tell anyone what to do and and whatnot. But I guess there is sort of that idea of we need to tell ourselves what we're willing to do to do our part, I think, is the best way to look at it and and to become more steward-like to our environment and more steward-like, therefore, to our society. 
I think about the First Nations people who who lived on the land I'm currently living on now. I'm on Treaty 6 territory. Mostly up here we have Woodland Cree, Dene, Deneza. I think that's about all who's in this area. But you think about the Plains Indigenous people specifically and the way they would manage and move large herds of bison around by burning different areas to control the way they, they move from place to place. You're right, Shashank, they were a part of it. They were they were not just looking for maximum output with high with maximum profit or minimum, you know, cost to highest profit. They were they were managing, they were stewards of their environment. And they were doing this in the Stone Age. And I guess I think that that really is what it boils down to here is is we need to we need to understand that we're being sold an idea, you know, like people wanting to defend their right to barbecue every Friday night, I don't think is the point. I think we need to understand that that the amount that we are consuming, what we're consuming and, and at the rate at which we are doing it is in fact unsustainable and is not you know being steward like and you, you mentioned earlier that that we are the largest one of you know we're a very large species and we are a very intelligent species but we tend to talk a lot about ourselves too i think this is a conversation we really want to we really want to have our population is as high as it's ever been and you know i mean there are innovations taking place every single day that could help turn this around but we are dealing with market forces as well that are greater than ourselves and unfortunately i fear that sometimes the market is stronger than our our push to want to save and to conserve and to be stewards the maximum output for profit is tending to go beyond the environment the animals and the people and i think that's quite quite frightening on a bit of a lighter note, you had mentioned uh, to me in our in our pre-podcast chat today that there is in fact a marketable meat that is in fact not a uh, not a product of an animal per se, but from animal cells. Can you tell us more about this? Absolutely. So as we wind down here with our episode about the voyage home and our animals and our environment. I think it's a good it's a good place to just talk about some of the good things that are happening for the environment and something positive to leave you with much like the voyage home leaves you with a note of positivity and hope in spite of all the impending danger. One thing that I discovered last year is this company called Memphis Meats that's a startup and it recently made 17 million dollars thanks to Bill Gates Foundation because they are selling the what I think is the most unique product out there in the food industry today. What they've done is they've taken the cells of chickens and using the biological structure of that chicken cell, they have reproduced meat. They've essentially reproduced chicken scientifically. I would go so far as to say they replicated meat and they managed to go full Star Trek and put on our plate something that was just made from a chemical formula and to put where uh, to put where their uh, to put their money where their mouth is they Good did a <laughs> they 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 did thank you they did the, a blind taste test and you can find this on YouTube if you type Memphis meats and there are they got people to just try at random, pieces of chicken versus pieces of their meat, their replicated meat. And 
not one tester could tell the difference. They just said, oh, so this, I'm just doing a blind taste test for what kind of a chicken dish we're eating today, right? And then you see the surprise on their face when the company tells them, no, this is something that we just made. We took the chemical formula and we made it in a lab. And the fact that we can now just make meat without actually having to rely on the life of an animal that we don't have to go through and contribute in some way to the suffering of an animal just so we can enjoy this this food that gives me a lot of hope it 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 warms my heart and as a vegan it 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 pleases me to know and to see that there are people out there who are spending so much money to ensure that animals aren't going through suffering so here's the question shashank would you dine on memphis meat that's a good question and i will just before answering that question i will preface myself by saying that again i really believe that as long as animals are being disrespected like this and horrible things are happening where they've gone from being living beings to just a product as long as that is happening i don't think i can consciously eat meat that is that is my my environmental reason for not eating meat but over the course of my veganism i've also found that the human body is naturally herbivorous that we do not actually need meat to survive we are essentially eating something alien to our body it would be no different from a goat eating meat or uh, a rabbit eating meat because these are traditionally herbivores and their biological system is not attuned to eat something a carnivore would eat you can tell that because their teeth are very much the way us human beings are they're blunt they're short while carnivores tend to have longer jaws and the best way to understand the difference between what should eat meat and what shouldn't eat meat is if an animal can eat meat raw and not have a biological reaction that animal is a carnivore we as a human being uh, cannot eat meat raw we need to cook it we need to we need to prepare it at a certain temperature and we need to add things to it to make it palatable what about sushi? i don't <laughs> good point uh, I, I i do think when there is so much hassle being put into it for something that my body gets more naturally from somewhere else i don't think i would particularly be interested in eating it because even in memphis meats they're not veganizing it much like a company like garden or morningstar would do where they make vegan or vegetarian substitutes for meat they're essentially replicating meat and they're giving me meat on my plate and it's not something my body needs anyway so i i wouldn't go much in the way my body would need milk like cow's milk not my mom's milk but cow's milk much like in that in that same way i don't think i need meat to enjoy i i don't want food to be entertainment so i guess my answer is no i i wouldn't eat it i would it mainly for the simple reason that it just doesn't appeal to me because i don't need it what about you yeah the the appeal of the appeal of meat has definitely not disappeared for me i my my uh my province, Alberta, has a very strong meat culture, and I don't deny it, and I, I don't necessarily dislike it to any to any huge stretch. And even when you look back at at the First Nations who lived here, their their primary food source was was bison, 
and they they derived quite a bit of of nutrients uh, from those animals and and whatnot. Obviously, there was a number of other things that they that they ate and that they cultivated. But as hunter gatherers, they definitely um, they definitely relied heavily on the bison. Today, of course, Alberta beef is known. I mean, in fact, when I was in Cancun a little while ago with my fiance, we uh, we saw a bus go by, and it's like, "Come to our resort. We have Alberta beef." And she and I both sort of chuckled because we're from Alberta, and <laughs> neither of us eat beef, so it's kind of kind of weird. But I guess replicated food, I would probably eat any kind of replicated food in that respect for the cur- sheer curiosity of it. I don't know if necessarily I would stick to it all of the time, but I mean, the potential health benefits to it. And, and if, if we can, if we can change out, you know, high density feedlots and, and uh, the I- unsustainable consumption and production of meat that's taking place right now and do something like this, I, I, I honestly don't see a problem with it. I am blanking completely on the article or where I ended up hearing about this, but there was a, a thing about apparently refrigeration was a big problem for, for people back in the day that, that they considered the ice that your freezer would make, you know, was, was artificial and why would you want artificial ice? And that's so weird and it's got health problems and none of us today even bat an eye at the idea of going into our freezer, cracking the, um, the the ice tray and and dropping a few into our our glass and pouring our favorite beverage in there back in the day they used to saw ice out of rivers and and whatnot to to get it their ice and and that's how you would get it now of course today that would be almost out of the question because a lot of rivers are polluted to a level that you wouldn't want to eat the ice or, or consume the ice from from those rivers so I think that's sort of entertaining how, how originally that was in fact a problem or at least a perceived problem. And now it's, it's nothing at all. And about 60 to 80 years have passed since refrigeration has really sort of hit the high, high watermark pun intended on that. So I guess maybe, maybe if we all decide again to work, work together on this, we might be able to have our steak and eat it too. Maybe, perhaps, I don't know. I guess the other piece of it, and I think you're right, is as long as we we live in a, a society where consumption is sort of sort of the the push and and I mean I'm no stranger to it and this isn't someone coming from a higher pedestal I am among you all in the world of consumption and I do my best to try to to curb that to a degree until we slow down our vast and 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 unsustainable consumption of of many things I I would prefer not to participate as much as I can I of course I want to participate in my society and I want to participate in the commons that we have here in the world of podcasting, the internet, and specifically in Star Trek, because I feel that this community is one of the best ones to talk about these sorts of things, because we can get over some of the issues that we have and, and actually really chat with each other. So I don't know, Memphis Meats is, is an interesting idea, but if it's, I mean, it's it's existing in a marketplace where large meat corporations run the show, and I'm pretty sure they're not excited that these guys are around. So I don't know. Are they going to last? I'm not terribly sure, because we still don't have hydrogen fuel cell and electric cars to the level that we were predicting. So I don't know if we're going to have replicated meat anytime soon either. I have some interesting, really good news about electric cars uh, in a, about a minute from now, but just responding to some of the things you said, veganism has definitely been easier for me because I come from a country where there is a big group of the population that have always been vegetarian. My dad has always been vegetarian. Uh, and we I come from a 
from a sect within my family's religion. I was raised Hindu and there is a sect of religion in Hinduism called Hindu Brahmins. And Brahmins are supposed to be vegetarian, much like Jains, who are another religion in India, are supposed to be vegetarian. So there is a, I come from a place where I've always known and experienced every now and then the pleasures of vegetarianism as a lifestyle. So it wasn't that alien to me, but I certainly understand that coming from where you are and the way you have lived, you getting here and you sticking with this is definitely unusual for everyone around you, to say the least. Uh, just from doing some of the stories you've shared with me, I understand that it it is not particularly being taken in well by a lot of people around you, a lot of people in your community. And just know that this is that until people take steps like this, that essentially spook people, right? Essentially disturb them to a point where they go, oh, that guy is doing that. I know that sounds extreme, but maybe that's what the the fact that we could push it there, we could push the envelope just a little bit farther. I think that's totally worth me giving up meat. Plus, again, I just don't biologically need it. I get all my joy from eating peas and carrots and broccoli and all the other fresh vegetables and fruits. But just just so it, it it isn't all doom and gloom this episode, I have some final pieces of good news that I wanted to share with you. This is from Huffington Post Canada. So shout out to Huffington Post Canada. Uh, and they did an article about the environment in 2017 and the article's called Why 2017 was a pretty good year for the environment. And here are some of the headlines within that article and uh, how they some of the big news stories that happened in 2017. One is Google went 100% renewable. So every Google company that runs today around the world is fully running on wind and solar energy only. Google consumes 2.6 gigawatts of energy. If just if people don't know what that term means, it's a lot of energy. And the fact that a company as big as Google is environmentally conscious enough to go fully renewable is very hopeful. And there is, of course, the Paris Climate Accord. And even though America's stance with it has changed now, things have changed for the better in a lot of countries, including China, which has recently declared that their Beijing air might finally be getting a lot cleaner, getting them closer to the to to help them meet their uh, requirements for the Paris Climate Agreement and make lives better for their people. And they also announced a 361 billion renewable energy investment by 2020. So that's more power to China. There is also electric vehicles have gained a lot of ground. In 2017, the sales of electric vehicles went up by 63%. And researchers estimate that 90% of all regular vehicles could be electric by 2040, which is awesome. And some other really good news articles out there about 2017 include how in India, there was an animal that was thought to be extinct that was recently discovered again, meaning that much like in comic books, my favorite medium, nothing ever really stays dead in this world, that somehow it has found its way to come back just showing how much, how little we really understand about environment and mother nature. So those are just some uh, happy, delightful news stories that I enjoyed uh, reading this year, this last year, and stories that give me hope. But 
before we get out of here for our listeners i would like to leave a question and i i would like to also hear an answer hopefully from you barry uh, as we get as we conclude this episode is do you agree that much like the humpback whales save our crew in the voyage home our animals are salvation as a species do we as a species just don't know it yet but somehow will they be the the final salvation will they be the big answer to all that we have been working for and trying to understand and will will they ultimately rescue us from ourselves essentially in much the same way the humpback whales rescue our crew in the voyage home i think maybe it'll be a mixture i think humanity will or at least you know as a as a star trek fan uh, I don't delineate between Trekker and Trekkie either. I, um, I, I don't know. I just, I like, I love Star Trek a lot. Um, just quick aside there. But I think humanity, my hope for humanity is to get to a future that looks a lot like Star Trek. And actually, I don't think it's as far away as we perceive. You know, you think about how far we've come, you know, in the 60s, Star Trek brought us the sliding doors, the the doors that open themselves, uh, the flip phone, tablet computers, replication, all of the, all these sorts of things are happening much sooner perhaps than we would have necessarily thought so. So I think humanity does have a propensity to do these sorts of things, and our listeners, being of any political stripe, if you love Star Trek, I would hope that you share my hope that we move toward a more Star Trek-like world where people tend to get along a little more within within our federation and people are not without their problems but we've done away with perhaps some of the the conceits of our society consumption being one of them so i think to a degree it will be us but i think also maybe a bit of the heart i think about a lot of people who i know who who do say it's important to listen to nature it's important to listen to what the animals are doing and what they're saying and how they can actually maybe not like a Disney princess, they can, however, communicate with us and, and really act as, as a, a, a litmus test to, to what might be required to make, make the world better. So I don't know if that answers your question fully, but I would say that maybe we are, we're sort of in the middle of both of them. And I would like to also just mention as well, just to tell everyone this, you know, we are looking toward, I hope, a, a, a Trek-like future among all of us, where our infinite diversity and infinite combinations makes us stronger and better. And if that is what we're aiming for, you know, my question to you is, what can you do to make that happen? Where, where can you put your energy? I know not every human being is going to be able to do everything, but, you know, each of us, according to our need, um, as relative to our abilities, I'm sure we can probably get something figured out. We absolutely can. That is it for our episode, Our Animals and Us, our reflection on the voyage home in its infinite glory. Please tell us what you thought about it. Please give us an answer to our question. We love reading. So if the longer the answer, the better. We'll definitely react to it. We'll give you a shout on our next episode. We will never discriminate between it being a good answer or a bad answer all answers are answers and we enjoy conversation we enjoy reaching out and we appreciate everybody who reaches out and talks to us and likes our posts and listens to our episodes you can always catch up with us talk to us on at polytrex on twitter and you can follow our facebook page polytrex you can also if you've enjoyed our show and 
are willing to support our larger umbrella organization that we get the chance to do this under the tricorder transmissions you can definitely also reach out to us on patreon just as a reminder barry how can people do that well, you can hop onto the Tricorder Transmissions podcast network. It's uh, tricordertransmissions.com. Uh, up on the sort of top right area, you will end up seeing a little little thing that says Patreon on it, and you can donate to us like a few fantastic people have. You can check our Twitter feed to see who the most recent uh, benefactor is, and we're always very, uh, very happy to get to know those people. And uh, we're really happy to be working working to make you happy with uh, the money you are investing in us. That's always wonderful to uh, to see and have. If you're interested in perhaps going a little bit further um, and actually sending us a possible message, you can do that at 609-512-LLAP. That's 609-512-5527. We'd love to hear from you. So... I think at this point, Shashank, we're going to move on to some of our final thoughts and stick around for those as they come. Now we've made it to our final thoughts. This is where we sum up some just some end end bits to any of the conversations that we've had or try to incite maybe a bit more thought in our listeners and maybe even in ourselves. And to do that tonight, we have Shashank to take it away. I know we've both said enough. Some would probably argue that we said a lot more than enough and either we fully convinced you to rethink your lifestyle and change the way you've been living or we have annoyed you to such a point that you've decided that we are both talking out of places we shouldn't be talking from either way no matter where your opinions lie i just would like you to take some time today to look at something for me just do me a favor and i have two recommendations one is a documentary if it seems too long you just watch the first five minutes and if you think it's too boring you're you will get no reservations from me for stopping it's called forks over knives it has the reason why it's one of my favorite documentaries is a lot of people particularly famous people have credited that as it being the documentaries they saw that made them vegan craig ferguson one of my favorite people in the world and also a star trek enthusiast has often talked about how when he saw that documentary, he decided to go vegan. And it's a documentary that I saw as well, and I'm a big fan of fan of it. I've gone back to it a few times just to just to enjoy the content in it and how it it washes over you like a very like a very well woven thread of facts and opinions. I really implore you to watch it. And another one. It's a it's a fun one. It's called weanimals.org. That's W-E-A-N-I-M-A-L-S.org. It's a website that takes pictures of animals in human environments. That's essentially all they do. They they do they take beautiful photographs of animals in our world and they try to capture honest moments about the lives that animals are leading. And they their hope is to 
change people change people's idea about what an animal is and what its identity is and how important it is for us to protect them so if not anything you at least got a few adorable animal pictures out of my final thoughts today so there you go that that those are my final thoughts on this episode what about you barry well i mean i can't really top the idea of checking uh, animals out in in human environments i think the biggest thing is is if you are listening to any of our future podcasts or any of the podcasts on the tricorder transmissions feel free to do it while say walking through a nat- uh, a natural area a safe natural area or perhaps near a lake or watching a sunset and just take a second and take in the world around you i mean we do live on a very beautiful little blue marble out in the far reaches of the Alpha Quadrant, and I think it's something that we should preserve and protect. And I hope that uh, you agree, at the very least, with that with us. Of course, there is plenty other uh, podcasts, like I've said, on the Tricorder Transmissions Network, and we hope you have a chance to check them out. And if you still have a, a, a hankering for some good Star Trek discussion, you can always listen to our friends Dan and Bill on the Trek Geeks podcasts as well. They're, they're always an enjoyable duo. So with that, that is the end of our episode on environmentalism and the voyage home. We'd like to thank you so much for joining us tonight, and we hope we've given you some food for thought, shall we say. And with that, we say, live long and prosper. And onward to Star Science.